Hey friends, welcome to It's All In My Head, where I talk to people about their experiences with mental health in a real, raw, and vulnerable way. I'm here to share stories that connect us to others in the way that mental health shows up for us, the challenges that we face, the stuff that gets us through, and perhaps most importantly, how we remain resilient. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen. Welcome back, Sisu Squad, to another episode of It's All in My Head. I am here with one of my absolute favorite people, someone that I have gotten to know and love over the last year and a half-ish, and I'm so, so, so ready to have um, invited into this space with you all today. So without further ado, Matthew Coronado, how are you, dude? I don't know why I just called you dude. I've never said that before. You, bro. I'm doing good, bro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, welcome and thank you so much for being here. That's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Okay. Well, um, I just would love it if you will introduce yourself to our listeners just very briefly, and then I'm going to kick us off with kind of my structured question um, all about mental health stuff. So yeah, who are you? What are you doing? How do we know each other, etc.? Um, so I... Sorry. Um, I am a music teacher. Um, I taught music in Gunnison where I met Joel. Um, I teach choir specifically, um, but I am moving as Joel is moving from Gunnison to uh, Grand Junction to teach at a new position in at Central High School. Um, and right now I am actually in Boulder finishing my master's degree in music education because um, that's what I do in my off time. <laughs> Can't get enough. Um, we can never get enough of learning, can we? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, to kick us off here, I always start my interviews by asking everyone what their relationship with mental health is and where you are at today. So what would your answer to that be? I was thinking about this this morning because I've heard that question from another podcast of yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> So my relationship with mental health has been very up and down. Um, reflecting on my past, it wasn't really a conversation that I had growing up. Um, how, like, how do we take care of ourselves mentally and how do we become mentally strong? Um, it's just something that we just kind of powered through. And uh, when hard things happen, we just tried to cheer each other up and move on. We never tried to address the issue. And that was fine for a while. But um, after I came out in college, um, there was like a big struggle with that and relationships with my family, um, but there's still a lot of structure around me being in college and being around that community. Um, but the hardest time in my life mentally was after I moved away to Gunnison, um, because not only I didn't not have my support system, but I didn't have the structures of school and I was far from my family. Um, and after a couple of traumatic incidents I had physically, um, I kind of hit a breaking point and I had to start going to counseling because um, I was having like panic attacks and like mental breakdowns. And um, that was when I really started to do some work on my mental health. And um, I did some great work with some wonderful counselors in the Gunnison Valley. 
And um, I have a lot more tools now, and I don't think anyone's really there, like the goal of mental health, but I've made a lot of progress. Absolutely. For sure, for sure. I think, you know, we've all faced those challenges and had those, you know, kind of breakthrough moments where we're like, I need to go to therapy because I don't have the tools to do this myself anymore. So, um, so you said you really had that breakthrough when you moved to Gunnison. So I think that we both, ha we have that in common is like, I've seen counselors before after like big traumatic incidents, but like, I had my like major breakthrough in Gunnison as well, where I was like, I need to go to therapy regularly. I need to absolutely institute this into my life as a routine and as a practice for my own mental well-being. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. What would you say is something that you've learned, like your biggest takeaway from your experiences with mental health and in going to therapy? Ooh, that's a big question. I know, sorry. <laughs> um, I think addressing my feelings and validating my feelings is something that I've never really learned how to do because a lot of times growing up or even in college, um, if I felt a negative feeling, we would kind of just say like, oh, that's nothing. We don't need to address that. But in therapy, we say, okay, let's explore that feeling. Let's realize what it feels like and let's um, come up with ways to accept that and move on. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of times and I want to just touch on it because again, we, sh we share this experience, but um, kind of not addressing or understanding your mental health at a younger age and just kind of sweeping it under the rug and saying like, we're going to move past that because it's nothing. Um, you grew up in small town, Wyoming. I grew up in small town, Michigan, obviously both very conservative families and rural townships and you know communities where we it's not normalized to talk about one's mental health so I guess growing up out of that and kind of like realizing as a young adult like that you need to seek additional help and you need to kind of prioritize your mental health what has that done for you and where like how do you think that that has really your your childhood has shaped where you're at today because I think that for a long time, and I've talked about this before, my anxiety kept me from going to seek the help that I needed because I had all of this inherited, like deep-rooted anxiety around family and being able to talk about this and not being able to understand my feelings and all of that jazz because it's so deeply ingrained in us as young children. So I guess, what was that experience like for you? I would totally agree with everything you just said. Um, I think especially growing up gay in a small town, mm -hmm. um, I felt the need to like hide a whole side of myself. And I could do that because um, I just kind of buried it all down. And on the surface, I was very happy, but everything underneath was kind of a giant mess. Um, and that was a skill that I used for such a long time. And I had this almost like perfection complex where I had to feel like everything in my life was totally perfect. Like I was totally mm -hmm. perfect. And all those feelings that I felt, all the anxiety that I felt, um, I would just shove it away. And because of that, I had such a hard time connecting with people. Um, and that was hard because my whole family is full of introverts and I'm kind of an extrovert and the more I learned about myself. Um, and I had so much social anxiety connecting with other people because I had afraid that they'd discover all this giant mess that I had mm -hmm. repressed for years and years. Um, so I just would not connect with people. Um, so 
the, the progression of where I am today, I realized that everyone has their bag of shit, so to speak. And um, it, it's okay to share that. <laughs> yes, please share your bag of shit with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you brought up growing up in a um, gay in a small town because you said specifically that you had to hide part of who you were, um, which really is a perfect segue into what I want to talk about with you today. Um, imposter syndrome specifically, I think we're both at this age, you know, like late twenties, we're in our career fields and we've become established, but we're also still like very much so considered entry-level professionals. And we are still definitely looked down upon as like being young millennials and, um, I think we face that a lot, this feeling of imposter syndrome, this feeling of we're not good enough, this feeling of how did I get here? Um, and so often I think personally for me, that results in hiding some of my own stuff, my bag of shit, my insecurities. And so I love the segue that you connected, like growing up gay in a small town to hiding yourself, because I personally think that's, you know, huge. I think that's where I'm feeling, especially right now in my career space. Um, so I guess let's get into imposter syndrome. I just, I thought that, that was a really good connection and a good point that just jogged a ton of thoughts in my brain. <laughs> um, so what is that looking like for you today in terms of imposter syndrome, in terms of hiding yourself? I mean, like you're very much so out, you're very much so like ingrained in your communities, both in Gunnison, in Boulder at grad school, and then also in Grand Junction where you're moving to. I wouldn't ever say that you're, you know, like hiding that side of yourself, but is there anything else in terms of like feeling fake or phony or like an imposter that really sticks out to you? Yeah, I think the place where I've really, well, a number of places, but one big one has been my performance career um, because I've been performing across the state um, since I graduated from college. And um, I've always had like some skill with performing, but sometimes I feel like I'm put in a group of people where I'm super underqualified, where I'm barely hanging on. I'm trying my very hardest and this is so yeah. easy for them. And I just feel like, how did I get here? I don't belong here. Like, what, what am I doing? I'm just a music teacher. Why, why am I performing with these real professionals? And that's, um, that's scary. And maybe they feel the same way. I, I don't know. But <laughs> um, I always feel like when I'm in these big performance situations, like I'm super underqualified and people just kind of talk me up. And I know at my core that that's not true because I wouldn't get the job if it was not true. If I wasn't mm -hmm. qualified, I couldn't do everything expected of me. Um, but it always feels like I, I struggle to reach the bar and maybe everyone does, but not everyone looks like it. Sure. Yeah, I feel like there's gotta be an added element for you and for any performer, you know, like I think the ways in which everyone performs their skill set, their craft, their whatever, mm -hmm. I think looks differently. When you think of actors and singers and artists, you really, they are the people that are performing. You think of that as performance and there's got to be an added layer of stress when it comes to like performing, you know, getting up on a stage and doing your craft. And, you know, like, I think I would feel super phony if that was me. I mean, like, I think performing at work in a higher ed setting sometimes is very like 
I'm putting on my acting cap and grabbing my <laughs> microphone and here we go. But like, I, I can't even imagine what it's like <laughs> for those of you that are actually artists and performers. Right. And it's so hard because like, if you mess up, everyone's there watching you. And so you huh. almost can, you almost have to repress that part of yourself and say, okay, I have to, I have to contain these feelings and come back to them later because I can't, I can't deal with them right now when you're in the middle mm -hmm. of performing. Um, wow. And also like your job is to entertain other people. Mm -hmm. Like that's pressure in and of itself, you know, like, my job is not to entertain people. My job is to teach and to like develop like young people. And like, I'm not there for anyone's entertainment. I'm not there to like get, be anyone's best friend. I'm just there to like <laughs> aid right. and support and development. But like to be like someone's entertainment too, that's gotta be, I, I would be like, I'm severely underqualified. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna <laughs> just go flounder and drink wine in a closet. Goodbye. <laughs> I definitely have those moments like mid rehearsal. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's wild. Um, yeah, and it's even harder when you feel like the people who you're singing or performing with are much better than you. Because mm -hmm. um, obviously, like everyone wants the concert to be good, but no matter who it is, the audience is going to compare everyone on the stage and say, oh, this singer is actually a lot better than this singer. Right. Or like um, this person's tone is much better, or like I can understand this person, but I can't understand this person. And there's always comparisons being made. Yeah. God, comparison is the truth of joy. I love that, that that phrase. And I I think about it all the time when I'm like feeling low about myself. I just I try to like, you know, remember that I'm not supposed to compare myself and, and no one else is supposed to be compared to me. And we're all just on this journey together. And you know what it's 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 hard though like to not compare and especially because humans are competitive and I'm like not at all competitive I'm like it's all for fun here but like then sometimes like you just automatically sink back into like I'm having fun but like that person's doing it better <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so true especially when it's something that you feel like you're like good at like you have some innate skill at it for, mm -hmm. for me like if it's like I don't know, tennis or something. Like, I'm not going to get competitive about tennis because I suck <laughs> at tennis. But if it's music, I feel like I should be able to hold my own. And when I can't, that's when, like, the comparison's happening. Like, what is this person doing? Like, where did this person study? Like, what kind of degrees they have? Like, why are mm -hmm. they so much better than me? <laughs> yeah. God, what a mess. Um, okay, so I want to bring it back to teaching, bring it back to being, you know, a career person. How has imposter syndrome impacted your work? Like, you know, on those days that you're feeling like, wow, I'm not performative enough or that person's better, or I'm underqualified in my studies and in my practice. Like, how has that impacted your work? I mean, like specifically, I know you were really feeling that in Gunnison a little bit. You are shifting out of that, you know, we're in big transition periods of our life where we're both moving and accepting new roles. I guess, did this kind of help get you to Grand Junction? This this feeling of I'm I'm not good enough or this feeling of I need to be doing something different or, you know, talk me through that and how imposter syndrome has impacted your, your career path. Right, it very much has. Um, when I got my job in Gunnison, um, I had got it right after 
I had basically gotten fired from my last job. Um, and this, this was like the starting point of like big imposter syndrome. But what yeah. happened was um, I was about to graduate from college. I was finishing my student teaching and uh, someone just offered me a job. They heard that like I was a high functioning student and I was doing really well in my student teaching and that they needed someone for this job and they're just gonna straight up offer it to me. And I thought, great, I'm so talented and wonderful. This is amazing. But then I stepped in the classroom the next year. I had no idea what I was doing. I totally floundered for the better part of the year and um, the they didn't offer the job back to me. And so that felt terrible. That felt like I had developed all of these skills, but I didn't actually know how to do anything, yeah. how to do anything in my profession. And so when I was when I got the job in Gunnison, I couldn't shake the feeling, even though I know this is very much not true, that I only got the job because there was there was no one else to do the job. And, um, you know, I could do as well as I could, but it always felt like, oh, the people around you, they have better jobs because they're better than you. And you have this job because that's all that's left for you. Mm -hmm. So it was right. more of like, I'm filling a role where like you're not looking at it as these people wanted me because I'm the best person for the job. It's like these people hired me simply to like be a body. <laughs> totally. And the in the state community of like choir directors, like there's totally an elitism aspect of it. That sure. The best teachers have the best positions and the worst teachers have the worst positions. And when you get a position like that, where it's in a rural area and the funding isn't great and um, you know, it's just a small community, um, if you can't help but feel like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel because you have to. Even though it ended up being a really, really great position for me and I grew so much and I learned so much and the community really supported me, um, there was always that feeling of like, am I not good enough to get another job? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely hard. That's, I mean, that's how I've been feeling lately with my job search after rejection, after rejection, after rejection. I'm like, am I not showing up in the best way? Am I not as good as everyone else? I'm like, I've got a master's degree and six years of experience. Why the hell am I not getting hired anywhere? Right. You know? And so I, I'm sure it had to have felt similarly to you, but I just keep chalking it up to it's not the right time. And I am still going through a ton, you know, and I'm just looking for the right thing right now. And it's a great learning moment in these last couple of months for me to just like sit with myself and reflect on these feelings and like really kind of reflect on what it is that I am good, about, good at and what it is that I am passionate about and what I want to pursue, um, you know? And I think in that moment for you, it led you to Gunnison and, you know, it led you to being there for, I mean, a handful of years and really enjoying and growing and I would say prospering there. And now even into a better opportunity in Grand Junction, you know, like you, it's, it's you know, sometimes we have to face those feelings of, feeling less than and othered and, you know, like not good enough in order to get us to the places that we're like, yes, we're meant to be here. Right. And it's kind of easy to fall back into that trap of like, I'm not good enough, especially like in my new position, I'll be following someone who was really, really excellent and like had a, a really long, very successful career. And I'm probably not going to measure up at first. Um, but 
I think just recognizing that, naming that, and saying that I am going to recognize that feeling, but also be the best educator that I can be, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Be the best educator you can be. A, um, you know, I think that's all we can do sometimes is learn from our mistakes, learn from our feelings and emotions, and use it to educate and to better others. You know, that's how. I approach my work with college students. I'm sure you approach your work with, you know, your middle and high school students, you know, like you have to show up vulnerably. So that way they understand that they can do that just as I do. And you have to say like, I'm not here today in my best, I'm not here as my best self. And so, you know, like when they're having off days too, like understanding that the world's still turning and that we're just trying to survive here on this magic floating rock together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And that's been the hugest lesson in my teaching is just being authentic and saying, I don't know everything and I'm not Mm -hmm. perfect. I can make mistakes. You can make mistakes where we can learn together in my education and just in my upbringing in general. I mentioned earlier that I kind of had this perfection complex Mm -hmm. and I think that was the reason I lost my job the first year is I wasn't willing to admit that I was wrong and that I needed help. And um, I, I came up as very inauthentic to my students. I had just copied what other people had done before me and I hated it, but I wasn't going to show that I hated it. I was just going to plow on through. And yeah. young people are so good on picking up on inauthenticity. Um, and when you are authentic, they appreciate it so much. So being in Gunnison has really allowed me to become an authentic teacher and to make mistakes and to tell students how to move past their mistakes. Um, and I'm just such a better teacher now because of that, just letting go of that. And that's mm-hmm. definitely helped the feeling that like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just pretending that I am. <laughs> yeah, definitely. God, it's so hard to be your authentic self and also to gain everyone's respect too. I think sometimes the authentic self is so vulnerable that like people shy away from it, you know? And ultimately I think that's probably what happened to you. It's probably what's been happening to me. I mean, like I think back to the last couple of years of my life working, it was like, excuse me, I'm so authentic and my students love it. And I have amazing relationships with my students, but I'm not connecting with colleagues and people above me that I need for my social capital and my professional capital and mobility. And it's because I realized that none of the people I was working with were being authentic. I mean, like there was a handful of people that were my close friends and I only connected to them because they were real and everyone else was like, I'm here living in Gunnison, working, working, because I love living in Gunnison, but like, they didn't give a damn about me. They didn't give a damn about our students. They didn't give a damn about their jobs. And it was like, all of them were just going through the motions. And I, you know, that's why I didn't fit there. And like, I lasted there for the amount of time that I could, but I mean, that I was made to feel like an imposter because it was like, I'm the only one that's doing what's right here. And I'm trying to make this work for me and for my team and for my students and, you know, whatever, but I wasn't jiving. And so, you know, like you just have to grow and you have to show that authenticity, but you have to realize that like when you're being compromised because your authenticity is being smothered, 
like mm. that it's time to leave, you know? And I think sometimes that happens in work. Absolutely. And it's kind of terrible that um, we have in our society, we're kind of expected to be inauthentic when we're being quote unquote professional. Well, and that's why I don't buy into this idea of professionalism at all. I'm like, if I want to show up in short shorts and a tank top and a flannel and like rolling on Molly, obviously I'm not going to, but like, if I wanted to, I know that I could still do my job better than half of these people. Like this idea of professionalism is garbage. It's like, I do not have to be dressed up and wearing suit and tie and being a white male to be professional. Like I can have tattoos. I can curse. I can, you know, like have a drink with my students. Like, (laughs) right. And, you know, at my level, I kind of have to think that way too, because I, I hate the teaching style where it's just kind of a cold professional saying, mm-hmm. here's the information, take it and learn it. Um, I feel like that's Well, because so... you're standing at the front of a classroom and, you know, that, that's not you by nature at all either. Like you're so personable and so um, extemporaneous and, you know, you just, it, I'm sure your students love that you can be authentic and figure something out to teach in a way that works for you and not be the cult profession, you know, teacher. Totally. And I tell my students, um, like our our brain is hooked up to our voice and our like our heart is hooked up to our voice. So how we feel and what we think affects the sounds that we're making. So mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to be um, cold and detached from that and just be singing robots. Um, it makes much more sense for, for my profession if we're if we are authentic, if we really um, put our hearts into it, um, we'll get a much better product. Absolutely. Um, someone, I, I don't remember who just said this or where I heard it, but it was an interview of something somewhere. And it was an artist that was saying something about how their music is only art. Oh, you know where this was? I totally remember where I heard this. Listen to the podcast, Kesha and the Creepies. So Kesha, like the artist, the musical artist, Kesha has Uh her own podcast where she interviews people all about like dark world spirits, mythical beings, spiritual, spirituality, like all of that kind of stuff. And it's called Kesha and the Creepies. And she was interviewing, I believe it was Youngblood. Hmm. She was inter. I think so. I'll have to go back and look, but anyway, so they were talking about how like their music inspires and is art and it's because of their emotion. And I think it was young blood, like I said, but he said something about how his music isn't music unless there's emotion to it. Like there has to be that sense of emotion behind the piece in order for it to be good. And if he's not feeling right, or if he's not feeling well, then it's not music. It's not art. It's just a song. And it's because that piece of emotion is taken out of it. And so what you just said really just connect to that. I think that like made total sense, you know, like your body and your mind and your voice is all connected. So part of being an authentic performer and an authentic artist is feeling well. And when you're not feeling well, channeling that into your art. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. I just got so inspired. I, <laughs> I, it just, you <laughs> like a sound effect here. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't, that just like hit me. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, I think that ties into mental health too, the whole creating aspect, because um, Mm. we know that so many of our students now come to us and they are not mentally well. 
And if we are a model of them and we're, you know, sweeping all of our negative stuff under the rug and our authentic selves along with it, what are we teaching to our students and our, our youth? Um, are we saying that, you know, we can't address those problems and become mentally well? Mm-hmm. Or are we saying it's going to be messy, but here's my authentic self. Yeah. And let's, let's work it out. Absolutely. You know, that was something I had to learn this year after experiencing the trauma and grief and loss of responding to a student suicide and taking multiple weeks off of work afterwards because I couldn't be there. But then showing back up for work for student training, my student staff like arrived and like some of them were new to my team and didn't know me. And so when I came back like a couple of days late to training and like I hadn't met all of the staff yet, I felt it was like an obligation to really share with them like some of some days I'm not going to be well at all and some days I'm not even going to be able to like come into work but like I'm telling you this from the deepest most raw and beautiful part of myself that it's okay and that I'm always going to have your back because I never want you all to feel the way that I felt two months ago and because of that, I'm totally changing my way of practice, you know, and normally I used to have like not a ton of boundaries. I've never been really a great boundaries person, but I definitely was not like sharing intimate pieces of my life with my students either. And Mm -hmm. this year it was like, that's all I did. I connected with my students specifically because I like told my stories and really shared my, the like big pieces of my life. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I think that's really beautiful. And it's, I don't know, it still baffles me that like we were talking about the idea of professionalism, that professionalism tells us not to do that, that someone Mm -hmm. decided a long time ago that to do that was bad. That was bad practice. Um, And I guess maybe it's no wonder now that um, like we have a mental health crisis in our country. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like I truthfully, truthfully, 100% believe that our mental health crisis is the root of inauthentic leadership, the lack of talking about emotions, this construct of like men have to be tough, big, burly men and women have to be the homeowners and not homeowners, but like homemakers. And everyone has to just like go through with, go through life with no emotion. Right. And I think like people have proven, you and I have proven that, you know, we can still be a professional, we can still lead and develop students and be authentic and recognize our own mental health journeys in a way that's meaningful for our students Mm -hmm. and ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, Yeah, I, I just can't. I can't imagine not living our authentic lives um, for our, our students and for the generations. I coming. think I would have stopped teaching already if I had to do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just think the young people of today, you know, like need the role models that, that we can provide, the leadership that we can provide in a way that other generations before us maybe didn't or didn't understand maybe or even couldn't yeah definitely oh I love it oh I was gonna ask um how you think 
this is all like this conversation about, you know, being authentic and being a leader and a role model and showing up how you think that's going to, um, help you like propel you into this transition, you know, into a school system that you don't know into a classroom that you don't know and all of that jazz. How do you think that that's gonna help set you up for success? Um, I think now I understand myself enough that I can come into a new position and set up everything authentically and in ways that I want to. And it's kind of exciting that I don't have any sort of expectation other than what I want for my own classroom. Oh yeah, I get to come in and set up things in a way that I like and that works for mm -hmm. me and my authentic self. Um, rather than having any sort of expectation. Because my other jobs I started, I still was holding on to that perfection complex um, and I didn't really know what I was doing yet. So um, part of it is just life experience and part of it is just recognizing that fact about myself that I need that um, and that I'm able to start fresh and build from ground zero um, in a way that is good for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's just very exciting for me. <laughs> Yay, I'm so excited for you too. I mean, both of us in transition periods and moving on to hopefully things that will contribute to outgrowing imposter syndrome, to overcoming imposter syndrome, to aiding in our mental health. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hopefully these next steps will really, really benefit us. That's, I mean, I just have the best the most hope I think that I've had in a long time for for both of us but I'm excited yeah and you know part of it is maybe growing up maybe I don't know <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to say 30 in like two days and I'm like have I grown up I yet can't I can't believe know. you're turning 30 yeah I mean we're here for it though yeah 30 and flirty and thriving 30 flirty and thriving or yeah, that is the phrase, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 30 flirty and thriving. My gosh, it's so exciting though. I can't wait for our 30s. I just know, seriously, Matthew, our 30s are going to be the best years of our lives. I just have this feeling. I just know that it's coming and great, great greatness is going to be at our fingertips in our 30s. Totally. And I think we can attribute that to working on our mental health and learning ourselves a lot of people get here and they just you know they just don't mm -hmm. oh and my gosh I saw on Twitter the other day someone was like let's normalize a let's normalize talking about therapy on a first date and I literally was like yeah so yeah uh-huh <laughs> like I've done that already <laughs> Yeah, seriously, though, I mean, like, I think you're absolutely right. You're onto something with like, our 30s are going to be great. And it's because we've been working on ourselves, you know, like, let's talk about how we work on ourselves. Absolutely. Mm, I love it. Um, okay, well, we are, you know, getting short on time here. So I want to kind of move us out um, of the podcast today by asking my only other structured question and that is what the word sisu means to you as it relates to your mental health journey um so for you and for anyone else who doesn't know who's listening sisu is the it's a finished term and it translates loosely to english um or in english to guts determination resilience strength 
grit, you know, all of those kinds of terms, those concepts. Um, so if I were to ask you today, Matthew, what does SISU mean to you today as it relates to your mental health journey and your relationship with mental health? What would you say? Ooh, ending with a with a bang here. <laughs> I know. I, I like to go out with a bang. <laughs> um, I think it is really a mental health journey. That's kind of how I've gotten here. Um, really, it's taking um, falling down and getting back up, and um, willing to put in the work, even if it's hard, um, and realizing that you can grow and you can improve as painful as it can be. Yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> growth is painful. Growth I, is painful. I can absolutely attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> you can attest to that. So many of us can attest to that. Yeah. We talked in my undergraduate about um, how people who are like professional musicians who are successful, like their common attribute is this you is grit um, because being a musician requires so much hard work it requires failure and it requires learning from our failures um so both that and i don't know mental health it's everything's so connected mm -hmm. absolutely 100 oh i love that answer that was perfect um and just so you too just like <laughs> yay <laughs> i have to tie in music <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Oh, well, I love that answer and I love you so much. And I just wish you the best of luck in your transition here to Grand Junction. And I just know that things are going to be amazing. But um, is there any like final thoughts that you have before we sign off? Um, I just think you're wonderful and I love you. And I want to wish you the same thing because we're like, both in the same spot and it's so we exciting. really are exactly yeah. oh thank you so much okay well because this podcast is all about connecting people through our journeys and our struggles where can people find you if they connected to your story if they resonated with you um if they just want to talk to you about growing up gay in a small town or being a music teacher or being a performer or what have you where can people find you um so I guess social media would probably be the best place for that. Um, you can find me on Facebook, um, Matthew Coronado, um, or on Instagram at Matthew Coronado. Um, I think that's the best place. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Okay, cool. Well, I'll put that um, in the show notes and I will, you know, provide links so people can find your social channels and follow you and give you some love and all of that jazz. But Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I just really value you and I'm so glad that we got to catch up. Um, this is wonderful. Thank you, Joel. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to connect with me, you can email me at itsallinmyhead.show at gmail.com, add me on Instagram at itsallinmyhead.show, or connect with me on Twitter at allinmyheadshow.